welcome to Conversations About Life. Thanks for joining me for the podcast, um, Joy. And um, so I guess I'll just try to introduce you and then you can fill that out if you'd like to. But um, I don't really know. I've just, I'm just now meeting you and I know you through my daughter and you're connected with her church and so forth. And it sounds like you've had like a pretty interesting events taking place you said that you were in you and your husband like you were in prison here recently and and then you're recently out and so forth and anyway so i don't really know a whole lot about that um now you you had just said you don't want to talk about the like the legal aspects so if you can just kind of guide me there if i i'm not sure just what is a legal uh, aspect and what's not perhaps but anyway but just to start off with, um, just tell us m- more about you or tell me more about you. Like, um, hey, what kind of person is Joy? <laughs> well, <clears throat> there's a lot. Um, I was born into a, a Christian family that um, was called to the mission field. Hmm. So when I was four and a half, my parents moved to Chile, South America. Oh, wow. And I lived there for 20 years. So um, that's a big part of my my life. <laughs> so your first 20 years, you lived in Chile? Yes. Okay. Yeah. In South America. Um, what's the language there, Spanish? Or? Spanish, yes. Okay. Um, okay, cool. And was that a good experience for you? Oh, it was an amazing experience. Yes. It, um, it became home. Okay. Yeah. So. <clears throat> and then, um, okay, so you, you grew up in a Christian family mm-hmm. and um, just a part of the Christian faith. And was that always pretty straightforward, like just something you, you embraced? Well, when I was a young child, I I realized I was a sinner and I needed to accept Christ as my Savior. And um, my mom led me to the Lord (laughs) at that time. And um, then I believe I was seven or eight when I was um, baptized. And um, I knew around when I was 12 that I just wanted to do whatever God wanted me to do. I didn't know what that entailed, but... (laughs) You know, I was just willing. <laughs> so um, I think my teenage years were a little rougher just because I I was very strong will, as was my mom. So we clashed a lot, you know, yeah. two very strong temperaments. But um, through all that, I mean, I went to college and um, I actually started in the States, but then I finished my degree in Chile. And, um, you know, God directed me in all those little decisions, life decisions and stuff. And um, in 2020, no, in 2002, um, I came back to the States and um, went to work at a boarding school for troubled teens in Montana. Okay. At that time. 
All right. Yeah. So we worked there for uh, 10 years. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. Um, okay. And then um, you said we worked there? So. You- well, I worked, my brother was also there at that time, my young, okay. one, one of my younger brothers. So um, when I went, he was there working as well. And then um, he left, but I continued staying there. And in 2007, the whole ministry moved to um, southeast Missouri, down in Van Duzer. Okay. Near Sykeston. And we moved with them. The whole um, ministry moved down there. And um, that's when I um, met my husband. We actually met online. He was from New Jersey. Okay. And um, in 2010, we got married and moved to New Jersey. Okay. Wow. So. <laughs> and then what were you doing in New Jersey, or what was your husband doing? Or My husband worked for a Whole Foods Market. Okay. He was a, a cook there, and um, we just, you know, that's where he was settled, So, and his, most of his family lived there, so we moved and um, started our family <coughs> in New Jersey. Okay. But um, before I had met my husband, I was a foster mom to two um, boys, and um, God led us to adopt them. So we moved back to Missouri in 2012, or I moved back to Missouri and brought my husband with me. <laughs> okay. And that's how we ended up in the St. Louis area. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you had... Um two foster boys before your marriage uh-huh. and then did you have to move back in order to adopt them or we did okay. yes so why is that they had did they just have to stay in the state of Missouri or New Jersey didn't want to move them up there for us to finish the process okay. in the state of New Jersey okay so God just brought us back that way and that's how we met um Pastor Spilger and started going to Grace up in North County was um, through that move. <clears throat> okay. So you were just um, looking around for different churches and happened to find uh, Grace? Um, we had started looking before um, before we went, before we moved here. Okay. I started calling different churches in the area because we didn't, we didn't know any in particular. And um, I couldn't get anyone on the phone, so I kept leaving messages and explaining that we were moving and whatnot, and we were looking for a church to fellowship with. And Pastor Spilger was the only preacher who actually called me back. Oh, so you were making phone calls to different churches? To different churches, And he yes. called you back, okay. He wow. was the only one that called us back, and um, so we talked for a while, and um, my husband and I decided that that's at least where we would start out. Once we got to St. Louis, we would start going there and see what the church was like and stuff. And it was very interesting because on the way here, we just packed up. We just packed everything we had in our two cars and drove to St. Louis. We didn't know where we were staying, what we were doing. We just knew God wanted us back here so we could finish the adoption with our two boys. And um, on the way... Here, as we were driving, um, Pastor's mother-in-law gave us a call. We had okay. never met her, 
and she introduced herself and invited us to stay at her home okay. while we looked for a place. She's been on the podcast. Has she? Yeah. Um, Mrs. Brush? Yes. So, okay, yeah. Yeah. And so um, we stayed with her, I think, for over a week while my husband, he transferred to the Whole Foods Market in St. Louis. So he went straight to work and um, while we were looking for a home. To okay. Live. Yeah. Cool. And then, um, okay, and then you got settled down here and were able to finish the adoption Correct. With, with your two sons. Okay. Yes. Okay. And then what happened next after that? Well, there was a long period of years. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, we had uh, four other children of our own. So we had a total of, I know we had three other children, so we had a total of um, five at that time. And in um, to January of 2018, our children were taken out of our home. So all of them? Yeah, all five of them. <laughs> and that was a very, very difficult time. Um, I had never gone through anything <laughs> really rough in my life until then. So our Christian walk was basically, you know, we had difficult moments and stuff, but it had been a walk in the park. Hmm. In a sense. <clears throat> Do you want me to get a, a tissue? I would just use napkins. Okay. Until that time. So, um, I think at that moment, my husband and I came to a very crucial point in our lives because we had to make a decision whether we were going to continue serving the Lord or just forget everything and do things our own way. And um, it was really rough because you're facing all this pain and emotions and for the first time in my life I understood why someone would want to commit suicide or why someone would want to escape those emotions by going on drugs or consuming alcohol or any other form of escape because it was very intense So, um, is like, uh, let me figure out what knob I'm on. Okay. So is, um, the, um, like the reason why they were taken, would that be getting into the legal stuff that you're not able to talk about? Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. So they were, the kids were taken and, um, you, you talked about like a decision whether to um, 
follow, you know, surrender to God, follow God's ways, or to go your own way. Mm-hmm. Like, um, what would going your own way be like? Like some of those things you mentioned? Like, um, I believe so. <clears throat> I believe at that moment we were in a very large spiritual battle. And, um, you know, when difficult things happen, we tend to question our faith and question God and, you know, why those things are happening. And I know my... um, our children were taken by our pastor at that time and um, and his family. They took them in. And so therefore we couldn't go to the church we were currently going to, which wasn't, was it was a new church that had been founded in Fenton. That's... Um, where we were then li- living. Okay. So, um, so the church, the pastor was able to take the, the children in. Correct. And... Um, and was that uh, Pastor Spilger? No. Oh, it was no, no. in Fenton. This was the, the pastor in Fenton. Okay, I see. Because that's where you were living at that time. Correct. I see. Yes. Okay. Um, <clears throat> we had, we had um, once we moved down there, we had continued going to Grace, but then God led us to help this new church that was just starting. So we had been going there, and they took our children, and therefore we couldn't go to that church. <clears throat> so that's when we went back to Grace. I see. And started going back there. But even that decision to go to church was a hard one. Because our church family up there knew us. And so the first Sunday was extremely difficult. Because everyone wanted to know where our kids were. Hmm. That was the first question from everyone. And um, it was very, very difficult. But I'm so thankful that my husband and I made that decision. Because it started us down the right path <clears throat> to continue serving the Lord no matter how difficult it was. And um, <clears throat> our church family has been amazing. They have stood behind us and loved us <laughs> through all of it. <clears throat> and um, we wouldn't trade that for the world, but looking back, <clears throat> I can see how just even making that first decision, <clears throat> our kids were taken on a Monday. Well, actually, it was a Tuesday morning. And <clears throat> that next Sunday, we were in church. And um, it, it was just the beginning <clears throat> of a new journey and a better one, I believe, that um, that decision started. So it's... Was it a comfort to know where your kids were, um, that, you know, your pastor had them? I mean, 
I don't know how stuff like that works out when kids are taken from a home. Um, did they just realize what was going on and going on and volunteer or? Yes, because we called them and told them what had happened, <coughs> and they, um, yeah, they volunteered to take all of our kiddos, all, all five of them. Yeah. And, um, you know, it seemed like we would get going in one direction and be moving in a, in a positive way, and things would happen again that would just, you know, <coughs> almost like make the floor fall out from under you. And um, it's been that way for the last four years. So. <clears throat> so are the kids still with that family? No, um, they didn't keep them very long. They, um, this happened in January, so by February, <clears throat> they had already moved two of the children out of that home. And then I believe within the next, but before the middle of the year, they had all been moved out of there and um, put in different foster homes. Okay. Um, and and then and you weren't able to have contact with the kids. We were <coughs> quickly able to start visitation with our youngest three, and um, so we were having weekly visits with them. And, you know, <clears throat> we um, started having the family team support meetings and going to court, and we did everything they asked us to. We, um, we did all our parenting classes. We got into counseling. We did anger management classes. <clears throat> and um, it didn't seem like anything we did changed the caseworkers and attorneys' opinions about us. We would get to a turning point where we could have more hours and they would come up with more obstacles why we shouldn't be allowed to move forward with reunification with our children. And um, <clears throat> that was always difficult <laughs> because we wanted to obviously restore our family and um, nothing we were doing was um, working in that effect it seemed and um, <clears throat> you know during that time um, I was pregnant with our sixth daughter and uh, we had her in July of 2018 <clears throat> and thankfully they did not take her from us We had, um, <clears throat> she was only about three weeks old when the criminal charges came down. 
and um, they came to arrest both of us, my husband and myself. And um, the police officer at that moment very graciously <coughs> allowed me to stay home with my daughter because um, I was nursing her. And um, so they took my husband and uh, it just seemed like our life was just falling apart all over again. How were, um, how were your children doing during this time? Um, like you were visiting them and so you were able to visit three of them and were, um, did they seem like they were handling things okay or was it, um, and I'm sure it was hard on them, but how, how was it for them? Um, they were little, so they didn't understand a lot of what was going on. But um, they wanted answers. They wanted to come home, and we could never give them those answers. It was always, we're doing everything we can, and it's up to the judge to make that decision. So we're waiting on her. And... Um, so they didn't really know much at all about why everything was happening that was happening? No. <clears throat> um, but we had great visits. There was never any, um, any problems during them. Um, we got to, they were able to come to our house <clears throat> for four hours every week. And um, they were amazing. But... Uh, Even during, you know, the time my husband was incarcerated, we never missed any of our visits because I was able to have the visit with our kiddos. And by the time we got our next visit, my husband was out and was home again. <clears throat> so God just, he's worked so many little details out like that that made it easier on our kids, in a sense. They knew he was incarcerated for the one visit that he wasn't home with us. But um, he was out the next week, so he was able to <coughs> resume the visits just like normal. So um, God just, he just worked little things out that were just amazing. When he was incarcerated, the judge told him that he was not allowed to um, have any children in the home and was not allowed to be around children. <clears throat> and that was a struggle because we had just had a baby. So we started praying about it and um, our attorneys went and talked with the judge and by God's grace, he changed his ruling so that our daughter could be in our home and um, we could continue having our visits with our kids based on the, the juvenile's court's orders. So for a week, my little girl, because the ruling applied to myself as well, so my... Um, 
we had some very good friends who came over and they said, Joy will take her. And they kept. Our youngest daughter. For a week. While we waited. To see if we if the judge would change his mind. And that's another thing. God just. Over and over again. Brought people into our lives. Right at the right moment who were just such a blessing and an encouragement to us, no matter what we were going through. So um, so your husband was incarcerated for a week, and, um, and then after that, um, it was the three of you um, living, and after the judge made the decision, it was the three of you living together and then having visits for four hours a week with the other with three of the other kids yes and um and was this all this was all prior to prison is it correct okay so now we have the the criminal case so we're having to go to court and stuff we had to bond out of jail okay so For the next almost a year, we continued working towards getting our children back. And um, our sentencing was scheduled for July 8th of 2019. And we didn't know what to expect. We had been told by attorneys and probation officers and everyone on the outside that was working with us that we would probably be facing probation. But um, the judge obviously had the ultimate decision to make. So we just started preparing for the worst. And we got our affairs in order at home my parents came back from Chile and they were there with us and um, we asked my brother and sister-in-law to take our youngest daughter Um, in the case we were arrested or or, um, sentenced to go to prison so um, we just did as much as possible to plan so did you say, like, federal prison as opposed to state prison? No, this was all um, state. State, okay, I see. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, uh, the Sunday before our sentencing, our sentencing was on a Monday, and um, we dedicated our youngest daughter to the Lord at that church service. And I remember telling my pastor, I said, no matter what happens tomorrow, we know 
I said, we, we're going to know for sure what God's will is for our lives. I said, we're not going to have any doubts. And um, that day came, <laughs> and we were both sentenced to um, prison time. And um, that was just a surreal experience because neither one of us had ever been in that position before. We had never faced that. And I think even though we knew it was a possibility we hadn't really allowed ourselves to think in that direction. <clears throat> so it was just a very numbing experience. <laughs> you just didn't... I don't remember feeling much besides just trying to be strong <clears throat> for my husband. And um, because obviously <clears throat> once you're sentenced, I mean, they cuff you and you're not... A, you're not really allowed to talk to anyone. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> neither one of us were able to express to each other how we felt at that moment. It was just, it was a very surreal. And um, I remember walking out of the courtroom <clears throat> alongside my husband with the police officer, and I looked over at the, my parents and pastor and his wife. <laughs> and I remember telling them that I loved them. And, um, but that's all I remember. And the other day I was talking with um, my pastor's daughter, and she said that as I walked out of court, I looked at them. And I said, it's going to be okay. I do not remember saying that. But I know that's how I felt. I just knew that God was going to be right there with us. No matter what we had to face. And I had no idea <laughs> what we were going to face. <laughs> Um, they took us straight to the county jail and um, you know that was an experience in and of itself <clears throat> and um, as I walked in to the pod where I was going to be staying another woman approached me and she took my mat from me and some of the stuff I was carrying and she said I'll help you and um, later she <clears throat> wrote my name down on a, on, a, on a card and she said Joy I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you we, we all have our, our place at the table and she says I'm going to put your name tag <clears throat> over here beside me and um, she, she wrote on the back of it she said um, she said this too shall pass and oh, 
over and over again. God brought women into my life that were total strangers that I had never met before. Many of them were not Christians. And yet, they encouraged me. And they helped me. And they became my friends during the two and a half years that I was incarcerated. And I remember being in that county jail the first night. And there were all kinds of emotions going through my head. I was thinking of my kiddos. We had just seen. And we had tried to prepare them (coughs) to the fact that we could be facing prison time. But once again, they were really young, and I don't know that they really understood what was the possibility of what was going to happen. And um, so that night, I remember those last goodbyes going through my head. And the only thing I could think of was a song that the chorus says, praise the Lord, over and over and over again in it. And I hadn't heard the song in years. I had learned it when I was, or I had heard it many, many years ago. And um, it just kept playing through my head over and over and over again. And the only words I could remember were praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. So that's what I started doing. I was like, I have no control over where I'm at or what the future holds. But I can thank him and praise him for what he's done and what he's doing in my life. So did um, so did you have the did you feel that God was good at that point? Or was it more of um, just kind of praising him, going through the motions? Or was it like from something inside of you, you know, knowing that God was good, even in the midst of everything that was going on? That was it. I just, I can't explain it. I just had such a peace knowing that while everything was falling apart, God was still there, right there with me. And I don't believe he sent me to prison. I I believe he allowed me to go through that experience because of what he taught me through it. And because of the lessons I have learned... And um, 
that gave me peace. Knowing that no matter where I was at, he was right there with me. Going through everything right there with me. And um, I went to jail on a Monday. On Thursday, they transported me to um, the women's state prison. And that was another whole shocking experience. (laughs) Um, I didn't know what to expect. I mean, I had never been in this type of situation. And um, it was a a whole different world than I was than I had ever been exposed to or experienced. And um, God just, even in those first days in, in prison, he brought women into my life that were kind and who just encouraged me, <clears throat> not so much spiritually because um I didn't meet many Christians at that point, but um, I saw God's hand <coughs> moving in every one of those interactions that He brought into my life. And, um, Yeah, it's been, I mean, it's been a long two and a half years. But all I can say is God's been good through it all. So is it um, like you're not able to talk, you know, like right now about what, you know, happened to, to take you, you know, for the charges and stuff because of legal things. Is that hard not to be able to talk about it? Or is that fine? Or are there some people... You have been able to talk about it with like pastors or, or and things like that. Um, it's, it seems for me, it seems like it could be hard just to kind of like keep that in and not talk about it with people or stuff, stuff uh-huh. like that. So, well, um, no, I have been able to talk about it, and um, especially with counselors and our pastor and his wife, and um, that has helped. I know um, I'm going to counseling now, (coughs) individual counseling, and um, I was talking with my counselor, and I told her, I said, (coughs) it's been really hard because for two and a half years while I was in prison, you have to suppress all your emotions because you're in you're in very volatile situations and um you're never alone you're always surrounded with other inmates or officers you're not in a in a cell by yourself there's always one to three other people there so um for two and a half years everything was just i feel like it was compressed (laughs) and um when the emotions would start, I would just pray and say, God, I cannot <clears throat> break down now. This is not a good time for that. 
and I would just I would focus on other things and get my mind off what I was feeling so I could cope with where I was at at that time and um, now that I have been released from prison those emotions are all coming to the front <clears throat> so um, it's been good to be able to slowly start facing some of those <clears throat> moments again it's hard but it's it's been necessary. Will there be a time when, um, you know, you'll be able to freely talk about things because all the legal stuff will be behind you? Mm -hmm. um, and are you, you know, looking forward to that? Or um, is it not really a big deal? Um, I don't think it's something that <clears throat> I look forward to. Um, it'll be just something or a time where I can just answer more questions if I'm actually asked, right. you know, or discuss things. Right. But, um, you know, in one sense, you kind of just want to just shove it all mm -hmm. under the mattress and just put it behind you and forget all about it. <laughs> but... I mean, it's a part of us. Um, prison is a part of us. And um, I just, it's, it's who I am now. And it's, um, it's something that comes up quite frequently now. So, Were you able to communicate with your husband during this time? Um, we were able to write letters. Okay. Yes, so we wrote a lot. <laughs> okay, and I guess with children, your children, you were able to write? We were able to write to them, okay. yes. And then what about the two older children? Are you, were you able to... No, we've had no contact no with No contact, them. okay. Yeah. Um, you know, something that's kind of puzzling to me sometimes, you talked about how different people, even non-Christian people, were a blessing to you, and I've been... Um, you know, reading through First John lately, and it, you know, it's which has a lot to do about love, as like those who love are of God. They've been they love because they've been changed by God, and it's almost like um, if you've been changed by God, you're going to love other people. If you love other people, it means you've been changed by God. Mm -hmm. But um, there seems to be people who. Um, don't acknowledge God and, and so forth, who can be pretty, you know, loving people. So, um, I, you know, I, I wonder, like, was well, there a difference between that kind of love? Um, and I can think of, like, perhaps um, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, well, everybody loves their friends, you know, mm -hmm. but, like, Christian love is loving your enemies as well. But um, I don't know, it sounds like... Um, some people um, just reached out to you with love and care who perhaps didn't even know who you were, you know. So do you have any thoughts about that, about, like, uh, people who are not Christians and yet they seem to be, you know, loving people? And just how does that correspond with, you know, some of the things I was referring to, like, um, you know, uh, 
if someone loves they it's because they've been made that way you know god's changed their heart and mm-hmm. so forth but anyway have you th- thought through any of that or just have any thoughts about it um <clears throat> i haven't thought through that i know <clears throat> as humans we can you know we all have <clears throat> or we can all show kindness and um some folks show kindness more than others and some of that might be due to their past or whatnot um i mean i do believe that <clears throat> when someone becomes a child of god god totally changes them and transforms them and um, gives them, I mean, helps them to be able to love others in a way that goes beyond themselves. Um, But then I've known others that (coughs) say they are Christians (coughs) and don't show God's love either. So, you know, it goes, it kind of goes both ways. God gives us the ability to love, and it's one of the fruits of the Spirit. So we all have that in us, but some of us choose to, or maybe it's submit to what God is teaching us, and we let that love flow through us, and others don't. Hmm. I don't know if that's where you're headed, but I've seen that. I've seen that as well, just even among Christians. So, I don't know. I don't know where I would stand on that. I know that God can use anyone. I mean, he used a donkey to talk to Balaam. Mm -hmm. And um, when he chooses to use people, he's doing it. Mm -hmm. So, I just know he... He did things that over and over again that many times just left me floored because it was like, okay, God, (laughs) here I am in prison and you're still doing good things for me. And it's a humbling experience to know that God loves me so much that no matter what I have done, His promises are still true. And He's going to keep His word. And He's going to fulfill that no matter how I'm acting or how I'm behaving or how I respond. And uh, that was very, very comforting (laughs) during all of this. It's just knowing that God doesn't change and that the promises in His Word are true. I I believe that as Christians we can get kind of um, numb 
to God's promises and what God's word says because we've heard it so much and it just becomes like you know rote or just you know something that we just know and um, when God allows you to go through tough situations where you actually see God working and God fulfilling those promises, He becomes so much more real in your life. And um, that has <laughs> that has changed changed me a hundred percent. So what are um, the people like that you're around, like typically the, the, the other prisoners, the guards, and stuff like that? Um, like our, um, I don't know, our, you know, I kind of f- figure like you're, if you're in prison, your life is just kind of a mess, you know? (laughs) Um, And you're, like, what are people um, like just typically in in prison? Well, there's a little bit of everyone. (laughs) Um, And I know from talking to other inmates that each prison in each state is different. And... um, Ours, the women's prisons in Missouri, have um, all levels of security. So from the lowest crime to the highest crime, you're all together in the women's prison. Hmm. And um, that was another area God worked in my heart that I hadn't realized that I was very, very prideful. And um, when I'm in the middle of prison time, and I started in my heart comparing myself to other women. And I was like, well, thankfully I'm not as bad as she is. Or I would have never done what she did. <laughs> and God just spoke to my heart at that time. And it was like, Joy, wake up. Because <clears throat> you are a sinner, just like every one of them. And, um, you know, God doesn't have degrees of, of sin sin is sin and um, it was a very humbling experience to um, see my true sinfulness I know I was forgiven because I was a chi- I am a child of God but <clears throat> I didn't realize how I thought I was better than other people until God allowed me to be placed in that situation. Um, we had normal activities. We got to, I mean, you could go to school, you could go to the library, you could go to the gym. Um, we weren't technically locked in our rooms. We had keys to our, to our cells. <clears throat> so we could come and go pretty much whenever the yard was open. Um, once it was closed down, I mean, the, the, the doors to our wing and, and um, the housing units were locked, obviously. And um, at night, for the most part, we all stayed in our rooms. 
you could go out to the bathroom and stuff, but you couldn't go out and hang out in the day rooms. So it wasn't a bad place. I learned that a lot of women go back to prison because all their needs are met. Mm-hmm. You know, they get their food, they get a bed, they have their clothes provided. Um, all their bills are paid, heat, electricity, you know, all that kind of stuff is taken care of. So when you're <clears throat> living on the streets and you have no food to eat, prison's a paradise. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really is. And there were a lot of women that would say that, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I had one roommate who, um, when she came to prison, she would devour all her food. <clears throat> And she would eat anything she could find on anyone else's trays. She would even pull food out of the trash can. And um, I talked to her about it. And she told me, she said, Joy, she said, I didn't have anything to eat on the street. She said, I would go through trash cans to find food. But she was basically starving. And so (coughs) getting to prison, she was consuming all the food she could get because she hadn't had it and um, you know little things like that made me be thankful for so much in my life because I had never ever been in her situation where I didn't have enough to eat I had always had at least something you know maybe not what I wanted but it was there was always food on the table and um you know, just little experiences like that. I mean, <clears throat> other women telling me why they got into drugs or why they were selling drugs because that was their family's lifestyle. I mean, everyone had nice cars and everyone had nice houses because they sold drugs. So when you grew up in that lifestyle, that was the career choice that you took because that's what you knew. Mm-hmm. You know, even though it's... <clears throat> legally wrong to them that was their future so um, you know you meet people from every walk of life I mean poor rich it doesn't matter Um, they're all there and um, some have committed heinous heinous crimes others I mean they're there for little small things but um I just you um <clears throat> you just become it it either makes or breaks you. You know, it's back to the same decision that we had to make when our children were taken. Am I going to serve the Lord here and live for him? <clears throat> Or am I just going to throw it all away and just, you know, get angry and bitter and resentful? And um, I had to make a choice every day if I was going to be thankful and not complain and, you know, not be have a critical spirit. And it was... It, it, you know, there were days that that was very hard because of situations you were going through. 
Do inmates typically know what other inmates are charged for and what they're in there for? Um, some will tell you. <laughs> Most of them would call family on the outside and have them look you up. Hmm. So they would they would find out anyways. I see. Even okay. if you chose not to tell anyone. Mm-hmm. They all had ways of getting around that. So that could be a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, in prison, certain crimes <clears throat> are despicable to them, and they treat you with utmost disrespect <laughs> and, and scorn if you're a part of that group. So... Um, Um, I've kind of heard that prison is like pretty political. I don't know how it is for the women, but like in there's different gangs in men's prison or sides, and like you have to be careful who you're talking to or and stuff like that, or you get in trouble with this group or that group. And it to me that sounds like one of the most frustrating things. Um, that like uh, you know you careful not to be nice to that person or it means this or something like that you know is it like that in the women's prison um it's not i think that's more on the federal level okay that at least from what i've heard mm-hmm. um you know there's cliques and stuff even in prison like there are in schools or whatnot right <laughs> but there wasn't really gangs or certain groups that you either affiliated with or didn't to mm-hmm. keep yourself safe. Mm-hmm. Um, I know in a lot of the federal prisons, that is the case. I mean, you have to join up very quickly for protection. Mm-hmm. Because okay. if you're not under one of those you know, kind of wings, then you're free game mm-hmm. type thing. <laughs> right. But um, I never experienced that. Mm-hmm in the Missouri State Prison. So, in general, you felt safe in prison? Um, there were moments. I had um, several roommates. I had three roommates at one time that were all there for murder. And, um, you know, one of them would get mad and she would say, I don't have any problem strangling you in the middle of the night, <laughs> type thing. And so... There was always that, you're always on high alert. You don't ever let your guard down, Mm -hmm. because you never know. Um, There's a lot of mental health illness, and even though a lot of medication is given, um, some choose not to take it. So, you never know what can trigger someone to snap. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's, they're on very short fuses, so you just, you learn to, um, mind your own business, <laughs> um, be kind and, um, just pray a lot. <laughs> but even in that, you know, I saw God's protection. I didn't, I could go to sleep at night even though you're sleeping with one ear open or one eye open, you're um, you're still able to rest. And, um, you know, I personally 
never was involved in any conflicts that got violent or anything. Um, I do know I had several cases where roommates did not want me in the room. <laughs> and um, I had to ask for protective custody because I was threatened in the sense that they would, you know, put a razor blade in your stuff or put pills in your belongings and then tell the officers because then when they come in and search, you get put under investigation and sent to, um, we called it the hole, but it's basically um, isolated custody, kind of. (laughs) So I did have to ask for protective custody in that case and say, you got to get me out of this room because they wouldn't they wouldn't move me and that was the only way to not allow that to happen and end up under investigation for something I didn't do <laughs> so um you know there were a few of those situations but for the most part I just I tried to be kind and considerate to anyone that was that came across my path no matter what they had done Mm-hmm. And I personally prefer not to know it. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I I made a habit of not asking people why they were in prison. Um, if they shared it, that was fine. That was their choice. But I felt <clears throat> that I didn't want to judge someone or treat them differently because of what they had done. Mm-hmm. And. Um, yeah. So that. Um, well, um, what's the, um, future like for you and your husband now? So your husband's still in prison, right? Correct. Okay. And, um, do you know what's going to, how things are going to play out as far as, um, your family, the kids and all of that? Well, they have technically terminated our parental rights, and we are appealing that, but that is our final chance. So um, we'll see what God does. Mm -hmm. That's the bottom line. We, um, We have done everything that has been asked of us, and um, now it's, it's in the Lord's hands. When does your husband expect to get out of prison? Um, he's not sure yet. He sees the parole board um, in a few months, and at that time they will give him a release date. Okay. So um, we're just praying that you know God does what he thinks best. I mean, obviously we would like to see him out as soon as possible, but... Mm-hmm. Oh, I was going to ask you about... Uh, in jail, is there a Christian fellowship like other Christians? Um, anything, um, you know, kind of like a vibrant community of Christians or anything like that in, in prison? There wasn't one that I really noticed. There, um, we had chapel was available to us, and there were several speakers that would come in throughout the week, and. A lot of women would go to those, but there's a lot of, I go to church 
and then I live the way I want to the rest of the week. So until they start, the women start making decisions to actually serve the Lord and live for Him 24-7, I don't know that that's, you know, that, <clears throat> that movement and power is really going to be felt just because there, there seems to be a lot of lukewarm spirituality. Okay. Um, a lot of women have Bibles. A lot of women read their Bibles. Um, a lot of them do Bible studies. <clears throat> There's several organizations that will send them for free. And some do, you know, some have five or six different ones they're getting. And um, I just pray that, you know, God's word says that it's not going to return void and that He'll just open their hearts to really receive what they're, they're, they're reading and learning and not just, I'm doing it because I'm bored or I'm doing it because I have nothing else to do type thing. Um, there were s several Christians that um, I became friends with and we just we encouraged each other <clears throat> and went to chapel together and um, but for the most part you just you don't see that Mm-hmm. So um, you mentioned, you know, what you've learned through the process mm -hmm. and stuff. So I guess um, yeah, I can see how, you know, an experience like this would give someone wisdom, understanding, like just some insight that nothing else really could. Um, I guess, do you have any uh, thoughts about like... Um, like, what would you say to others um, that you've gained through this experience that, um, you know, you would like to say to others that, um, you know, that they could, so that they could understand without going through an experience like this or something, <laughs> something like that. Um, I don't know. Like, what if you gained through it that you can, you know, share? Oh boy. Um, I just, I really think we need to be real with God and real with ourselves because so many times we feel that we have to put on a front, <laughs> that we have to act a certain way and look a certain way and be a certain way. And we're not being real with ourselves or others. And I believe that's one of the, the biggest things God taught me is just to humble myself and to realize that, you know, even my struggles and what I have gone through can help others. And I don't need to hide it and put on a front like... My world is perfect because it's not. And yet, because of what I've gone through, 
God has allowed me to help other people. And he has brought others into my life that I don't know I would have ever helped or met if I hadn't gone through this. Just the other day, I had a a young man reach out to me. He was a former student of mine in the boarding school that I used to work for. And um, he said, Miss Joy, he said, he said, we now um, share something in common. And he said, I want you to, he said, here's my phone number. He said, I want to talk to you if you can call me today. So I was really hesitant because I didn't know what to expect. <laughs> but I called him and um, he said, he said, I just want you to know, he said, I spent 12 years in prison. And he said, I've been out for three years. And he said, I feel like I can talk to you because you understand what I've gone through. And um, he said, a lot of people don't understand us because they've never been through what we've been through. And um, we talked for quite a while and he told me, he said, He said, if there's ever anything I can do for you, he said, please ask me. And I told him the same thing because God has used this experience to open my eyes to so many things. And I truly believe that because I've gone through this, that there's a whole other group of people that I can now minister to because it opens doors that I would have never had before. And um, I hadn't heard from this young man, good grief, 11, 12, 13 years. I don't know that we hadn't communicated, but it was just a blessing to see how, you know, what I've been through is helping others. And I truly believe that if it helps one person, that it was all worth it. So it sounds like um, just, you know, being real with God, I guess that's kind of connected with humility just not trying to be something perfect, like you said, but just uh, being real with God, which is kind of like being real with other people, too, you know? Yeah. Um, what's your uh, connection with God like now? Like, do you feel closer to God than before, or is it any different? Um, or what does it, you know, what does it feel like, I guess, just the connection you have for your relationship with God? I do feel that it's it's grown stronger. Um, 
it's made me read his word more. It's made me um, realize <clears throat> how much he loves me and cares about me. And um, it's, I, I truly believe it's drawn me closer to the Lord because I couldn't have done this without him. I mean, there's, there's no, there's no way humanly possible. Does this um, uh, play into like your thoughts about evangelism at all? Like when it comes to reaching out to those outside of the faith, um, has this experience or anything uh, changed the way you think of that? Or like different people have different ways of going about things. You know, some people hand out tracks, some people, what you know, form relationships and just help hope that, that God works through that. Or, you know, I don't know. Like, do you have any thoughts about how this? changes your view of evangelism or does it maybe it doesn't um well it's made me want to share the gospel more because it made me realize how short life is and how things can change so quickly And, um, but it's reinforced the, the truth that the way I live and the way I act and the way I speak can be such a testimony that God can use without me ever saying a word. That um, people will know that you're different and that you're a Christian and that God is doing something just by the way you're living and responding to things. And um, I think that is <clears throat> so important because we forget that sometimes. Did you see conversions in, in the prison? Um, I saw several. Um, but... Um, what I saw more was God just bringing women into my life over little things like <clears throat> me being kind to someone. And it would open doors for me to speak to them or give them a track or invite them to church just because I was kind and considerate and took the time to talk to them or be a part of their lives and their, you know, their interest. And um, that, again, is something I was, you know, I was so self-absorbed in my family, in our life, that I didn't, before all this happened, I didn't put myself in positions to help others or to be a part of other people's lives, or to truly listen and be able to reach them where they were at. And part of that, you know, you get busy as a mom, and, you know, your life just revolves around <coughs> your, 
your little circle. And um, God has opened that up. It made me realize that, you know, even someone in passing, I can smile at them and make their day better. Or I can give them an encouraging word. Or I can just listen to them because so many other people are struggling. And sometimes they just need a listening ear. And it's made me more in tune to those around me, even if I just walk past you, you know, and I've never seen you before. It's, 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 it's hard to explain, but it's just, it's this whole experience has just transformed. It's like, God just turned me inside out (laughs) and totally transformed the way I thought and the way I acted and has just done a huge change in me. Yeah, um, it sounds similar to what I try to get away f- away from sometimes, which is just getting so busy and caught up in things that's all I'm focused on. And sometimes if I'm taken out of that for a bit, then I, I realize, so oh, I don't want to be so wrapped up into that. And um, But more to be aware of kind of like the big picture and mm-hmm. just that each day is um, not about just getting things done, you know. <laughs> Um, but has, um, this, um, what sounds like it definitely has changed the way you just go through each day. And I think you were kind of describing it there that, um, you're just seeing opportunities more and, and it's just kind of like you go through life differently now than before it sounds like, Mm -hmm. um, are you back at the Fenton Church now, or are you up there at Grace? No, um, I'm going to Grace. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, is there anything else you'd like to say um, before we just kind of wrap up? Um, or, yeah, anything else? Just. To- I've um, shared part of my story and journey on um, my blog. I don't know if you've looked at that at all. I did look at it, yeah. Yeah, so... Um, if anyone wants to reach out, they can. There's an address on there. They can write to me or whatnot. Okay, all right. Then I will um, put a link to the blog in the show notes. And just for anybody who are just who's just listening at the audio, do you have like a a web address or anything to the blog that you want to put out? It's cheerfulwomen.com. Okay. All right. Well, thanks, Joy. It's just I really appreciate the conversation. It's just been a privilege to talk with you, and. Um, encouraging and helpful for me and I I think it will be to anyone listening too so thank you very much thank you (laughs) 